Welcome back, everyone. This is the Change Log, where a member-supported blog and podcast that comes with fresh and what's new in open source. You can check out the blog at thechangelog.com and our past shows at 5x5.tv slash changelog. This show is hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and also Andrew Thorpe. Andrew, say hello. Yo, yo. Yo, yo, yo. We're also joined today by Kenneth Wrights. Hello there. Hello there. Not a yo, yo? Yo, yo. Yo, yo. <laughs> you can tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time right here on 5x5, and today is episode number 98. We're joined by Matt Thompson. Matt is the mobile lead at Heroku. A lot of Heroku up here today. He's the creator of AF Networking, which we just mentioned in the pre-show, and a hipster Helios Postgres app, and the list literally goes on and on. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, let's uh, let's get started with how you got started in open source. Ooh, open source. You know, I really started diving into that with the Objective-C community. Uh, when I was working at Gowalla, uh, I found that a lot of the stuff that I was working on, uh, it, you know, it started, it, it started to actually be generally useful. Uh, I think that's when I really, you know, started to pick up with everything. So AF Networking, for instance, came out as a project uh, that we were using for uh, Gowalla for iPhone. And uh, it was general purpose enough that we thought that other people would like it. And uh, from there, it just kind of took on a life of its own. Yeah, so just wanted to give a quick rest in peace to Guala. I think that was a uh, an app that Ooh. most of us loved, and we're sad to see it go. But uh, I re- I really miss it. I had my whole life on there for two years. The uh, you know the the, the whole passport, uh, all, yeah. the, all the stamps that you had, like it really told a story about you know every day that you you know went out and explored the world. So yeah, it's uh, something I've definitely missed. I literally I think- remembered uh, driving uh, when he and I went to. Oklahoma City one time for a conference. We were on our way back. We were driving back. We had to stop somewhere. I forget where we had to stop and why we had to stop there, but he had to like drop a pin or something like that, and it was it was all about Gowalla. <laughs> he used to yeah. do a lot of Gowalla stuff, right? Didn't he like reverse mm-hmm. engineer their API? Yeah. Yeah, he oh, was yeah, a, that's, uh, that's right. He's a big Gowalla, Gowalla fan. I just um, remember Gowalla having a big presence in the early version of the changelog. It seemed <laughs> like it. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So so uh, speaking of Gowalla, we have the AF networking kind of as the main project we wanted to talk about here. Um, it's a common thing that we've noticed in the last, for some reason in the last, you know, I don't know, five or six shows, we've talked about like for-profit companies that have released, um, you know, pieces of the company in open source and AF networking is one of those things. Uh, probably one of the questions I wanted to kind of ask you right off the bat, Matt, is what is the AF in AF networking? Sure. So AF stands for Alamo Fire, which was the old name of Gowalla. So before Gowalla did what it did, it was a mobile games company. Uh, did some things called, uh, one of the projects was Packrat, which was a, it's actually, uh, you can still play it on Facebook. It got uh, bought by another company. So it's a collectible trading game, uh, really addictive, uh, a lot of fun. And uh, they also did Icon Buffet, which was a social network based around collecting iconography. So little you know, images of, of different themes. Uh, it, it, it was a really neat company. I mean, I joined Gowalla after being a fan of Alamo Fire for many, many years. It was sort of a dream come true. You know, I've been following their work for uh, you know, a long time. And so it was really humbling to get there and to be part of the team. Uh, yeah, really, really cool stuff. Again, miss it every day. I love how there's the Alamo in the logo, too. Oh yeah, that's that's actually kind of repurposed from the Alamo Fire logo itself. Al- the Alamo Fire, of course, is the uh, official state flower of Texas. Or no, sorry, the, I guess it's the Blue Belt. Either way, uh, it's one of the important uh, flowers of Texas. So I wanted to kind of 
mention that um, because we, you went from Alamo Fire to, or you didn't specifically, but the chain of you know Alamo Fire to Gowalla, and now you're at mm-hmm. Heroku. Um, and so we have you and uh, Kenneth both from Heroku. So Heroku isn't itself open source, so why don't you guys give us kind of an insight into Heroku and how you guys do what you do and how you guys work together and, and those things. Sure. Kenneth, would you like to? Uh, well, I don't, how much work do we, would you say that we do together, Matt? Oh, we cross paths. We sort of have parallel tracks, you know? I think our stories are quite curious in that respect. Yeah, we bo- we're both uh, well-known for doing HTTP libraries for our respective languages, and uh, <laughs> we do a bit of evangelism. But besides that, I think we're kind of uh, in silos, right? It's a shame. But uh, yeah, I mean, spiritually, I think we're, we're kind of absolutely uh, play- playing off one another. <laughs> I feel the vibes all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of cosmic intellectual bebop is what happens at Heroku. It's fantastic. Cool. So uh, AF Networking has nothing to do with Heroku. This is something you maintain separately from Heroku in your spare time. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, and one of, I mean, it's, it's interesting, though. I mean, if my role at, at Heroku is to increase the number of mobile developers on the platform. And a great way of doing that is increasing the absolute number of mobile developers. I'm very confident that Heroku's, you know, provides a great development experience and people will choose it you know, because it's the best tool for their job. Uh, so getting the absolute number of developers out there who are making apps on iPhone, for instance, uh, and most iOS apps consuming a web service in some respect, uh, as, as far as AF networking enabling people to do that, uh, I think that you know, grows the business pretty directly. I assume we're going to be touching Helios as well, right? Sure. That's, that's another piece of the equation. Yeah. Why don't you kind of elaborate on that a little bit for us to get started? Sure. So again, kind of taking things a, a step back, when we talk about mobile, uh, it's, it's sort of this complicated, nuanced uh, word that's come, become kind of a buzzword and poorly understood. Uh, in a lot of ways, uh, it's sort of a conflation of a lot of ideas, the idea that uh, technology is more ubiquitous than ever and it will become increasingly so, uh, that we are dealing with different kinds of screen resolutions and different ways of presenting the same information uh, you know, in, in some common format. And again, when we're talking about mobile applications on these platforms, whether that's hybrid or, or native, uh, we're talking about a client-server architecture. And increasingly, uh, when you're developing for the web, that's, that's sort of a rich client experience as well. You're connecting through a JSON API. Uh, you're making requests over HTTP. So actually, you know, the whole architecture, the whole technology stack behind all of this is, is no different than the way that we're developing modern web applications. So mobile uh, really isn't a different way of doing things. It's just, uh, you know, focusing on the client. So part of focusing on the client is that uh, you're choosing to spend your time to polish that user experience, right? Uh, you're, you're learning Objective-C, you're learning Cocoa and, and all of the uh, tricks to make your application stand out. And that means that you don't have a lot of time or really desire to, to kind of spin cycles on figuring out uh, sort of the plumbing of REST web services for push notifications, that sort of thing. Uh, And that's where Helios comes in. Helios is an open source, extensible uh, backend as a service, mobile backend as a service. Uh, And it's specifically focused on iOS right now uh, because that's kind of the the best place to start and the place where I'm most comfortable. Uh, But it's something that can extend and be used for rich web clients and Android and pretty much anything else. So Helios is, if I'm not mistaken, it's built on on top of Rack. Is that correct? It is. Rack is uh, actually one of my favorite architectures. You know, Sinatra also is 
uh, one of my favorite things in Ruby, but uh, Rack, the way that it can be composed, uh, you know, a complex application into component parts uh, that are each kind of modular, just ruthlessly modularized. I really like the approach of that. Uh, so coming at it as a Rubyist, uh, it seemed like a, a natural fit. So you said you came at it as a Rubyist. When, when would you say you made the transition from like a full-time Rubyist to a full-time uh, Objective-C guy? Let's see. So that was uh, my first job out of college was at a company called Serigo. Uh, at the time, it was known as Smart FM or alternatively mm-hmm. I Know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, for language learning, uh, Japanese speakers uh, learning English. Uh, that was in Tokyo. And, uh, you know, I, I started off doing Ruby there, but eventually, you know, as, as most companies uh, do and, and did, especially back then, uh, we wanted to make a mobile app. And uh, somehow, you know, doing some past experimentations on Mac development, I found myself kind of inheriting that project, and eventually that's what I used to, uh, to, you know, get my foot in the door at uh, Gowalla. So that's that's when I started. That was about maybe four years ago. Cool. So Helios kind of takes parts of what you loved about Ruby, and um, you know, also is is built for some of the iOS Objective C stuff. Uh, how how does Helios and AF networking work together, or do they, or you know, what's that relationship look like? Well, AF networking is sort of the bread and butter when it comes to making HTTP requests. Um, but there's a layer on top of that. It's a project called AF Incremental Store, which is kind of under the umbrella of AF networking as a technology. Uh, and AF Incremental Store uh, combines AF networking with core data. And the idea is that you don't write networking code anymore. It just automatically translates uh, the requests that you would make or any, any faults or fetch requests that you'd make in core data uh, to HTTP transparently and asynchronously, and then kind of load everything in the background. So it's a way to develop, uh, you know, core data. It's an it's a object. Uh, it's a graph persistence uh, framework, sort of like a, an ORM, like Active Record. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to think about it. Uh, and if you can imagine, instead of it talking to a database, what it did is that it well it consults a local cache to return stuff quickly and synchronously. Uh, but then also in the background, it's going to query this web service. So mapping gets, you know, fetch, fetches to gets, uh, creates to posts, that sort of thing. And I assume it's using standard HTTP headers for that? Absolutely. It's, it's building on standards. Uh, it's using headers in a, in a cache-efficient way. Fantastic. It's a really cool... Uh, it's a really, really cool framework. Would you recommend, if somebody were going and deciding they want to kind of get into uh, mobile, would you, would you recommend Helios as a kind of a place to start? Helios, I think, is a great place to start if you are looking to build, you know, get up started uh, very quickly. So uh, those data services, again, just to kind of expand on that. So AF incremental store, uh, building on top of core data. If you're using core data and starting kind of from the client, uh, you can actually link your core data model to Helios, and it will automatically generate those REST web services and, uh, for you. So that means that you have a server uh, talking directly to your client, and you don't have to stub anything out. You don't have to implement that later. The plumbing is taken care of for you, and you just begin to develop a real application. So in that respect, it's it's really great. Uh, it's other uh, components, it's other services, like push notification registration, like logging and analytics, like uh, newsstand or, or passbook integration. Those are things that uh, can kind of live alongside uh, a more developed application, even as your uh, application grows and uh, probably gets out of the realm of basic CRUD uh, responsibility, so a Sinatra or a Rails application. Uh, you can keep those back-end services uh, around. 
a little bit longer. So yeah, it's it's a great place to start, especially if you're not as familiar or comfortable with uh, web service development. Even if you're not a Rubyist, the code that it generates is rather friendly, and uh, you know I think it's pretty easy to use. Mm. How long has Helios been around? I launched Helios. I remember it was, uh, I think it was April second. So day right after uh, April Fool's Day, I made a whole thing about uh, making fun of iCloud. So I thought it was an appropriate response. <laughs> awesome. And it's uh, still in active development under beta. Um, I'm working with a, a designer and a couple of developers to really polish something for uh, maybe a fall release. You know, looking at September for a really proper uh, polished release. I think it'd be really exciting. Are there any early users or uh, like success stories so far, or people that are planning on using it? Uh, that's the thing. I, I kind of liken it to buying a car. Not everybody really wants to start developing a new mobile application all the time. Yeah. So it's really about kind of gathering this interest and getting people to kind of experiment with uh, more and more substantial kind of uh, you know attempts at, at things. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what people build on top of it. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it this so this was you created this, but you created this while you were at Heroku, right? So this actually is a Heroku product. Is that is that right? Exactly. Heroku has been kind enough to sponsor the development of this as a sort of a capstone project uh, for a lot of the uh, insights that I've kind of garnered f- over my experience of doing you know the job that I do at Heroku. So this is uh, directly you know, applied from my experience of understanding what developers need and what they're looking for. And I'm hoping that this is a, a pretty compelling offering. kind of has a Heroku feel on the website, the Helios.io website. Um, oh, I love that website, yeah. Yeah, it has a Heroku-esque feel, but it also feels different. Can you kind of speak to who worked on this? Sure. Uh, I hired a, a, this wonderful illustrator out of San Francisco. Her name is Erica Sirotich. Uh She does, actually, uh, she has a lot of children's illustrations, and I wanted to kind of get away from, uh, it seems like a lot of uh, tech projects, uh, maybe not recently, I think they've, they, maybe this is coming around, but uh, they, they're, too, they're kind of too serious and not approachable. I found that her uh, aesthetic really matched what I was looking for, and uh, at the time I was kind of going through a space kick. I don't know, uh, maybe it was, you know, looking at tweets from the space station or uh, watching the, the rockets zoom around the San Francisco Bay on top of the, the, the I guess, C-130 or whatever that was. Um, it really, I don't know, I just was on a space kick, so, uh, and maybe still am. It's funny, because there was a old app, which I don't, it was not, well, not an app, it was just like a little website you could use called ReaderNot, and it was like a... It was. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I think it was for like reviewing books, and I think it was kind of play on words, like reader not like an astronaut, but reader <laughs> not like should I read this or not? And it had a yeah. it had a space theme for the logo, and, yeah. and the uh, the little guy on top of the Helios website, he, he reminds me of that. I like it. Uh, I'm a big yeah. fan. You, you mentioned you kind of alluded this to this a little bit um, earlier, but I kind of wanted to hear what your thoughts are. What Helios is in beta, so what does that mean, and, and what do you kind of foresee as being the uh, the get out of beta for Helios. Uh, the get out of beta plan is uh, improving on the documentation. There's a lot of uh, kind of places that I can go with that. Right now, it's sort of uh, a rather extended README, but not much more than that. And, and that's because we're still actively developing features. Uh, as we talk about the plans for AF networking 2.0, I can kind of expand on that. But it's sort of a coordinated effort to uh, not only provide essential mobile services for how people are developing applications now. Uh, but anticipating their future usage. And I think that's a really important thing to, to look forward at how uh, developers are going to create mobile apps, you know, not just today, but in the next uh, couple of years. 
Awesome. Yeah. So it's it's Helios.io. It's a it's a really cool uh, little framework. And if I know Adam Stakoviak at all, that you have already typed gem install Helios in your command line. That's why I was being so quiet. I was actually over here. Uh, yeah, I was. I'm over here hacking on it right now as we speak. Yeah, I was like, I noticed that uh, Adam has been quiet for the last couple minutes, so I said, okay, he's working on. That's what he seems to do every show, and what we're talking about, and he gets excited about it. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's a good omen. That yeah, you must, you must know me well. I was, uh, I was on point three of getting started on OSS, which is OSX, (laughs) which is you'll see your web apps, web UI at localhost five thousand admin. So, so kind of. A uh, transition. Um, the, I think the requirements of Helios are Ruby Ruby one nine plus. I would imagine, and Postgres, uh, you know, is a requirement as well. Which kind of right. brings me to what I think the, the very first time I ever saw your name was Postgres.app. So, uh, kind of speak to that and what what that is and and when that came about. Sure. So one of the most frustrating things I can remember from when I was uh, first starting as a web developer uh, was getting a database set up. I mean, I think a lot of us started with MAMP. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when MySQL was maybe the best choice, you know, PHP, MySQL, that sort of development. Uh, and I mean, I just could not for the life of me figure out how to get a Postgres instance installed on that. Every, and I was doing geospatial stuff and, uh, you know, everybody insisted that this is the best way to do it. But, you know, if you can't actually install and use it, then what's the point? And it's not that, you know, I'm not, you know, users aren't, aren't, aren't dumb. They're just, you know, maybe they don't have time or the patience to figure out you know, the problem, if people can't use a software, it's not the fault of the users. There's the nothing more people. discouraging when you're starting to, like, wanting to use a new technology when it's, like, you know, it's getting in the way, right? Yeah. You're starting to exactly. feel inspired. Exactly. Exactly. And it's a real shame because Postgres really is the best relational database out there, the best open source uh, one. And it's powering a lot of stuff at Heroku, powers all of my projects. And I, I've just fallen in love with it. So I want to make sure that everybody's experience... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking it upon myself to figure out how the hell to get this thing working uh, in, a, in kind of a containerized app uh, so that other people don't have to go through a similar process mm-hmm. because it really is kind of an ordeal. And, and I guess a lot of people say, you know, what's so hard about brew install? Uh, but if you look at, you know, projects like uh, Rails Girls or other projects, you know, kind of these meetups where people are starting to hack or new, new people are coming on, uh, what you find is that, you know, homebrew is not something that people intuitively get or, or really... Uh, need to initially, right? I, right? The terminal is a scary place, yeah. uh, uh, and I think it's something that we forget as developers. We just expect people to do it our way. But, yeah, we, you know. I think I love homebrew. I mean, obviously, you know, we're not here to bash homebrew at all, but I think that homebrew does make <laughs> make some assumptions for you know for us, which is like we're comfortable in the terminal. We understand the command line. We are okay with like typing commands, and you know what I mean. And, and I think that newcomers are not necessarily there and they're and that's a just anything you can do to mitigate that hurdle uh, in my opinion to get new people into this is is incredible and um you know one of the one of the girls that we work with at pure charity her name's beverly and she's involved with like rails bridge and um dev chicks and stuff and she does a lot of pairing and, and helping newcomers out and i mean that's kind of what she preaches is you know uh, personally, myself, I love Vim. I use Vim. I'm I'm very comfortable in the terminal, all this and that. But newcomers are are it's hard enough to get them to even want to try programming. So to like try and get them to understand the command line and this and that is not not necessarily worth doing. So any tools like this that make that easier, I think it's absolutely necessary in this world right now. 
Right. And it's not just for beginners either. I mean, I myself am a user of Postgres app, and that's because that's the interface that I choose to use things through. Right. I mean, again, a lot of uh, developers, at least on GitHub, it seems, are, are Mac users, uh, and they appreciate a certain ease of use and kind of out-of-the-box experience. And I think that uh, kind of apps are, are a great way to do that. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really want to manage uh, background demons or anything like that. I don't want to have to guess where my you know, data is being stored. I, I like having that all in a knowable, reproducible place. And, you know, that's why I made it. And that's why I'm so happy to share it with everybody. It's so, cool. It's, it seems like Heroku almost has co-branded itself with Postgres at times. And I think that's really neat. Um, this, like, I, Postgres app was, is, do you, well, just to clarify, do you call it Postgres app or Postgres.app? I usually call it Postgres app, but uh, that's actually I think I interchange it. For some reason, that sounded weird coming out just then. So yeah, call it whatever you want. Um, <laughs> it feels like uh, this obviously came out well before your time at Heroku. Is that right? What Postgres app or Postgres and Heroku's po- Postgres app? That was something I created on you know, I think on my fourth day at Heroku. Oh, okay, gotcha. So it has kind of been sponsored by Heroku the same way that Helios was. It's interesting. So that was not as much sponsored. As, well, I mean, yes, they, they did support. They did support it, and they did fund uh, that delightful icon that that goes along with it. And they have allowed me to work on that, you know, during office hour or during my hours working there. Right. Uh, but that was it. Really, was more of a dare. Somebody somebody said, "Hey, you know, Postgres is hard to install. Uh, why don't we just have it as an app?" And I just said, "Sure, I think I can make that." You and understand how Mac like, frameworks work. I had no idea. That was my second Mac app. I don't <laughs> understand how to do Mac development, really. Uh, I'm sure anybody who you know is worth their salt can look in there and see some hideous things. But boy, it's 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 a really complex beast underneath. Again, like the more complexity that I put into it, the more the happier I am that other people don't have to deal with, you know, helper applications, relaunching stuff, uh, you know, any of that. Do you want to touch on induction app at all? Oh, I would rather not because it's an embarrassing <laughs> blight on my uh, on my record. It's this promising, you know, polyglot database client. My first Mac application that I wanted to build. It started out as a Redis client, but all the Postgres people at Heroku thought it'd be cool to uh, make a Postgres uh, database client, uh, a native Mac client for Postgres as well. Uh, so it just turned into doing all things for all people. And uh, as far as ambition goes for first projects, it's hard, I've, it's hard to imagine something more uh, difficult and, and broad than that. And unfortunately, I haven't had much time or really have much expertise, uh, sufficient expertise to really execute on it. But but you did say it's got one of the, and I agree, it's got one of the coolest logos I've ever seen, or icons oh, I've boy. ever seen. David Lanham, uh, brilliant iconographer out of uh, the Icon Factory. He does not skimp. He is he's amazing. He came up with that whole concept just from uh, the name and a few kind of simple guidelines on yeah, direction. I, I said, you know, Tesla and kind of uh, electronics and industrial, and he came back with this. Yeah. Uh, and it was just amazing. Well, not for an awkward transition, but let's move away from that now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, okay, kind of on to what I'm really the most excited about, which is to kind of talk about the AF networking. Um, this is something that just reading a little bit about, uh, in a similar sense that Postgres app, it, it's not just for beginners, but it makes the task a lot easier. Um, AF networking, and you can definitely correct me where I'm wrong because I am uh, sure. anything but experienced, anything but an expert when it comes to this stuff. Um, AF networking is is it's built just on top of NSURL connection, right? So so why not why not just use NSURL connection? 
That's a that's a great question. Actually, at the top of the FAQ, there's a full answer for that because that's obviously the first thing that uh, responsible developers are going to ask before they incorporate a new dependency. Uh, and and the philosophy behind AF networking is is really simple. It's that NSURL connection uh, is the highest uh, level, the highest level of abstraction that the standard library provides. And as Apple suggests, that's the one that you usually want to use unless there's some good reason that you should dip down to a lower level. So we're using that, but we're also combining it with one of my favorite classes in Objective C. Uh, uh, Coco, it's uh, NS operation. So NS URL connection does manages all of the. Uh, so it's a couple of things. NS URL connection, in order to be asynchronous and, and cancelable, or in order to monitor its uh, progress and that sort of thing, you need to implement a, a number of delegate methods. And if you're doing that in your own application, it's sort of cumbersome that you have to do all this boilerplate work. I found that it was nice to combine that into NS operation, which is basically a state machine for. Uh, that, that can be queued up uh, and given priority. So you start a request, and then by the time it's finished, you have all the data that you loaded from your remote resource available to you as an NS data object, or depending on the kind of request that you made, a JSON object, an XML document, an image, that sort of thing. So you're starting from an NS URL request, uh, which is an HTTP verb, maybe some parameters, and uh, body, uh, and a URL, and then you end up with exactly what you want in the format that you need it. So that's that's the sort of contract that you establish in AF networking, and it seems to be a pattern that a lot of people, uh, you know, enjoy and, and prefer to work with. Gotcha. So it, it kind of takes the you know NSURL connection, combines it with other tools that are already readily available, makes it easy to do that in one place for you. Exactly. And with Coco, it really is. I mean, of all the languages I've worked with, I think Objective C has the best standard library. You know, by orders of magnitude, just the amount of thought and uh, thoughtfulness that's put into the design of those classes, and you can be guaranteed that everything will be fast, uh, which is another great. Uh, pretty much everything will be fast. It's, it's really a great uh, and freeing constraint uh, to just use what Apple provides. So it's built building on those uh, fundamental parts, not reinventing the wheel, at least uh, as much as possible, and then translating delegate math delegate patterns uh, to block based callbacks. So that's the important thing, is that you're loading a request, and then by the time you get it back asynchronously, you execute a, a, a block of logic that's close to where you actually made the request in code. Has there ever been so any have to, discussion from Apple about including it in the standard library? So I talked to uh, an Apple engineer at Labs during a WWDC a couple of years ago, and their answer was actually uh, quite interesting. So I asked them, you know, it seems like a lot of users are looking for this kind of functionality in their applications. Uh, why not provide them these libraries uh, yourself? And the, the the engineer I was talking to, I was I was looking for Quinn the Eskimo. Uh, <laughs> was, that's 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 his handle. Yeah. Uh, Quinn, yeah, uh, is the author of many of those libraries and a lot of the sample code, so pretty well known. Uh, and I forget the person who I actually talked to, but his answer was that, you know, if you think of Apple's view of technology, they're taking a very long perspective on it. For instance, they didn't incorporate a, a JSON parser into the public API until iOS 5, you know, just a couple of years ago. Wow. The reason for that is you can imagine that they didn't know if JSON was going to be a thing. Apple's been mm -hmm. around for 30 years. It's impossible to really know what patterns are here to stay, uh, and they have to be very conservative. For instance, they had a they have a PubSub framework uh, that I believe is extensively used in Mail, but nowhere else. Uh, I think they expected PubSub to maybe be a bigger thing than it was, and now they have to publicly support that. So uh, that's one of the trade-offs of being, you know, kind of investing in a technology before it's really proven. 
So I guess uh, it, they can kind of hedge their bets on the basic implementations of things and allow the the rest of the world to create the details for them. Exactly. Uh, but the interesting thing is that Apple, in their recent update for uh, forthcoming update with iOS 7, have implemented uh, quite a number of the common patterns. Uh, so iOS 7 introduces a new networking framework or a new networking construct called NSURL session, which actually supersedes and in some way deprecates NSURL connection. NSURL connection is still around, so AF networking, uh, the current version, will work with iOS 7 uh, just fine. But NSURL session is the new way forward and actually have, offers a lot of benefits. Uh, I can, I guess I can go into that if yeah, you'd like. Yeah, definitely. Sure. So NSURL connection, it's great. It's a high-level library that had these useful delegate methods, was fast, and uh, took care of a lot of the protocol management that you wouldn't want to do yourself, like redirection, uh, handle automatic redirection, that sort of thing. Uh, however, it suffered from the, the whole URL loading system suffered from kind of a singleton mentality, is that every URL, NSURL connection shared a URL cache, it shared a cookie store. It shared, um, you know, a set of NSURL protocols, so different ways to kind of inject logic as you're making requests. And it also shared, you know, session variables. So it was very easy to get yourself into a, especially with an application that communicated with many different services, to get into a situation uh, where caches are not being invalidated where they should be, or sessions are getting munged, or you know, it, it was it was just sort of a mess. So NSURL session offers per session. Uh, configuration, and then on top of that, kind of abstracted out this asynchronous, uh, you know, connection to uh, a web service, and and provides uh, data download and upload tasks. So the basic things that you'd want to do. Uh, fortunately, there's a lot of stuff that AF networking I think can improve upon that, and uh, I'm really excited with what we have planned with uh, 2.0. Yeah. So. Uh, you kind of told me a little bit before that the 2.0 might be announced pretty soon. Um, is this kind of the the driving force for 2.0, the the change in the NSURL session? It's yes. It's actually a, a great confluence of of uh, necessity and uh, just sort of uh, luck that uh, AF networking was in a place where I knew that I wanted to do different things. I wanted I knew I wanted to improve on the existing architecture in in sort of major ways. And uh, this is there's no better reason than you know Apple providing you a better tool. So NSURL session, uh, AF networking adapts and, and applies its patterns on top of that now, while maintaining uh, you know vintage support or legacy support for NSURL connection. Uh, but it also improves upon those patterns. So in addition to being based on NSURL session, it's abstracted away uh, the concept of serialization. Before I talked about how you make a request and then by the end of the operation, you have exactly what you want, whether that's an image or that's parsed JSON object or uh, XML, that sort of thing. Uh, those serializers used to be just kind of baked into the request operation itself. Now that I'm supporting uh, request operations and URL sessions uh, you know, simultaneously, it made a lot of sense to abstract that out, extract that into its own class. So you have serializers that encapsulate uh, all of the logic to transform NS data uh, with a particular HTTP response uh, to particular objects like XML, like JSON, like message pack or image, or you know maybe even directly to your instances of your models. So it's actually a really powerful construct and cleans up a lot of the code, reduces the uh, number of lines of code in the in AF networking, uh, almost enough to offset the new features in the in the new version. Was it a complete rewrite or um, just you know basic evolution of the product? 
Well, it was, I was, so we've kept basically half of it. Um, and a lot of it was kind of taking out, taking out the things where it was uh, built on request operations instead of uh, URL session and, and, and kind of building in the new parts. So I think we threw, I threw away half of it first and then just built from the ground up. Uh, the first write took about a day and uh, it actually was quite easy to integrate the new APIs. Quite easy for somebody that's a genius like yourself, that is. No, no, no. I've just been thinking <laughs> about it for months and months. So, you know, you finally write it out and it's just like, ah, all right, one sitting, not too bad. So when do you plan on actually releasing 2.0? Uh, the first release candidate is going out on Thursday. I'm actually here in uh, New York. Uh, I'll be speaking at the iOS developer meetup at the New York Times building on Thursday. Uh, and that will be the first look that many developers get at 2.0, talking about its features and, and sort of the agenda that I hope to lay out with iOS networking in general in the future. Cool. So just a few more days and we'll get to uh, play with the, uh, the, new, the shiny and new. Absolutely. And if you can't wait, there's a branch hiding in plain sight. Just go to the branches uh, tab on GitHub and just click 2.0. It's amazing how few people have actually noticed this. That's a, those are, it, it, not to go off on a side topic, but finding, uh, old, finding different branches and versions and tags and stuff is, for some reason, not the normal uh, you know, workflow for, for users consuming things on GitHub. So I don't know if there's, sure. there's, a, uh, there's a solution out there, but if you can solve that problem for me... That would be great. <laughs> well, now they have the new releases thing, so you can actually create a pre-release. And That's actually, true. Uh, it's pretty nice. I haven't done it myself yet. You, you should do that, Matt, and see how it goes. Sure. I mean, I use CocoaPods to, to manage my releases. Oh. So if you just create a tag, yeah, CocoaPods, it's like RubyGems, uh, yeah, directly inspired by RubyGems. It's actually, the interesting thing about CocoaPods uh, is that it is entirely based on GitHub. So all of the infrastructure, it's just that you're pointing to a specs repository. And when you want to add a new spec, uh, if you want to add a new pod, you just you know create a pull request for that pod. Or if you have commit access, you just commit directly. Uh, yeah, awesome. I was actually just... looking into doing that for the Python community as well. But I, I think that would be really it. great. I think yeah. that was, uh, what's the name, Eloy from CocoaPods? Eloy Duran. Yeah, I think yep. he was actually on an episode of the Changelog a while back, wasn't he, Adam? Talking CocoaPods? Uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Maybe like 70s? Late yeah. 60s? Yeah, a little while ago. <laughs> Episode ago. number. Yeah, not a... Uh, <laughs> right. Show numbers, 70s. not years, yeah. I just love the sound of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm number 98? Oh, man, you guys have, uh, I'm sure, have something cool planned for 100 then. Yeah, we're, we're planning on doing a show on, t- on a Tuesday at 5 p.m. Yeah, all day. All day change, all <laughs> day. Um, oh so AF Networking has some, I don't know if you'd call it competition, but it seems like... Um, RestKit is another one, and that's the other one that the only other one I could find digging around that seems like it's, it's actively maintained. So, how does AF networking differ from RestKit? If you uh, have any idea, different different layers. Actually, RestKit is built on top of AF networking. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, RestKit actually is more of a direct competitor to the AF incremental store. Okay. Uh, in a way that it's doing automatic mapping between. It takes it a step further and does automatic mapping to your uh, basically your domain logic, your application models. Uh, but the yeah, all the transport is handled by AF networking. Uh, I hate you know I I am skeptical of of large projects and monoliths and uh, I don't want to become you know a dinosaur and I don't want to abuse the influence of AF networking or ever be put the community in a position where they have a big tool that sucks. So uh, I definitely encourage people to call me on that and to con- 
you know, constantly uh, challenge my assumptions and, uh, you know, offer new suggestions because I, as much as I can be, I, I try to remain open to those new ideas and, and do my best to, you know, incorporate that. And I think a lot of those ideas, you know, actually speaking of which, Blake Waters, uh, the author of Reskit, uh, he was absolutely instrumental in, uh, for instance, the design and architecture of the serialization modules in AF Networking 2.0. That mm-hmm. was all his idea. Like, I'll, I'll give absolute credit to him. Uh, you know, and it, it's because it benefited and aligned more with the way that he was designing things with ResKit. So, again, not competition. It's it, it's the best of what I've seen with open source, and I, I absolutely love the Objective-C community. Awesome, yeah. So, uh, you were talking about not wanting to be like a dinosaur and kind of avoiding the monolith. And and one thing that I noticed that was unique, which seems like it, it would help you in that, is the like premium support package that you offer. Um, it seems unique, and I don't, you know, I'm not very involved in the Objective-C iOS community, so maybe it's more common there. But um, just offering like a flat, you know, hey, this is my open source product, I maintain it, but if you want support, I will, I will do that. Um, what, what made you kind of set on that model for support with this? I, I, you know, I think I wrote a blog post maybe a year ago. Maybe that's the last thing I blogged about. Um, there's, there's definitely a tension uh, between and I actually Kenneth, while you're on, there was a there was a guy who blogged about how you should be a billionaire. You remember oh, that post? Yes, I saw that. I think it was only a millionaire, but yes, I oh, millionaire. I did well, see that. Well, still, <laughs> that was ridiculous. The, the basic argument. I mean, it's an interesting argument that you know we're we're putting all this time and effort into things and. By, by golly, we should be compensated for it. But the reality is that open source functions and is actually possible to exist as a gift culture, not a market, uh, you know, free market or, or sort of a monetary culture. Mm-hmm. It would be as if you went to somebody's house for dinner, they invited you over, and you plopped down a $20 bill on the table at the end of the meal. That would be the most inappropriate thing ever. What is not inappropriate, though, is offering a bottle of wine or offering to help clean up. So what we have is a sustainable model of cooperation, but just not on that level. I mean, we're all developers are well paid and we're, you know, we have, we have roofs over our head for the most part. And are, you know, we, we are often fed at work. I mean, we're, we're not in need of, of the, that side of compensation, but at the same time, there is a need uh, for companies and individuals uh, to kind of transcend the sort of uh, cooperative style. If people can't offer to help clean up the dishes, maybe in fact they do uh, you know, pay a, a little bit to have it catered or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what the premium support does. Uh, and, a, and a couple co- companies have uh, used that and, and it's been great to allow, uh, give them a framework to, you know, for instance, uh, I'll sign an NDA uh, if, if they want me to look gotcha. at their software. So it gives them legal coverage. It gives them, uh, gives me obligation to actually work on that. So it's actually a great model. I actually did the same thing with requests. I decided to do a yeah. uh, request pro where someone can just basically mm. decide to support it financially. But there's no difference like with the license or anything like that. Yeah, uh, sure. And it seems to be working really well. To be clear, uh, Kenneth does accept bribes for dinner. But <laughs> from the looks of it, it would only be in black and white. Very funny. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Um, no, but yeah, it's a it's a very very cool. Uh, I don't know what the word is. Uh, you know, don't call it a monetization strategy. No, That's not monetization. it's all about sustainability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, we we talk about that a lot on the change log about how to um, not get burnout, how to sustain the project, how to you know, it's all about sustainability. And I think this is a cool way to just you know to. To, necess- to help that, and I think that's something that um, you know we should be trying different solutions to solve that problem. Man, that was a wordy, poorly constructed. No, absolutely. Sentence. That's that's a that's a great point. Are you I've on, on GitHub, for- Matt? Hmm? Am I on GitHub? I am not on GitHub. You need to be on I- GitHub. 
I maybe I don't know that that model is well I guess we can talk about that some other time I don't really have fully formed opinions about it but uh, I don't know maybe it's just not for me See, I, don't, I don't want people to feel obligated yeah it seems like that's kind of where we're at right now and we had a, we had Chad on the show uh, with Kenneth actually you know a while ago and it seems like everybody right now is at a place where the opinion's not fully formed, so it's up to Chad and the and the GitUp guys to uh, or the GitUp uh, open source people to, uh, uh, as he put it, bring your own carrot and help to get people involved. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, not to disparage him at all. I think what he's doing is amazing work, and you know, I'm a big fan of him personally. Uh, yeah, from what I read about him, so yeah, it's a it's a great effort. Uh, just yeah, very interested to see other ideas in this whole space. Matt, by any chance, did you happen to? catch um chad's article on the change law called open products open products uh maybe it was lengthy to... it was definitely enlightening so yeah he's got a very read. unique view on just life and uh the world and it's a encouraging and inspiring one for sure tremendous sure cool so yeah so af networking um <laughs> got a we got 2.0 coming out uh <laughs> Sure. Can I say one thing about uh, 2.0 really quick? Yes. Uh, about kind of the, so one of one of the responsibilities I feel, uh, kind of maintaining a project that's so widely used in the in the community, uh, is that you know the the need to keep pushing forward, just like Apple does. Uh, you know, hopefully not as ruthlessly as they do, kind of deprecating things uh, that people are still kind of using. But uh, the direction I want to go forward is to kind of anticipate the needs for real time uh, communication. So uh, a lot of iOS applications, what I'm hearing from people is that they need a way, a consolidated way to kind of reconcile this document-based paradigm uh, with the stream of updates that come whenever you're in constant communication with the server. So uh, AF Networking 2.0 will feature uh, server sent event support. So it's implementing the uh, basically an analog to the event source API uh, that you're used to in the DOM uh, with JavaScript. Uh, and uh, it's actually part of this whole manifesto of uh, how to develop web technologies that I'm calling Rocket. If you go to rocket.github.io, uh, it's sort of my my ideas about how modern applications should be built. Uh, it's, it's hard to describe what this is. I mean, it's like a technique sort of like Comet or Ajax where it's kind of up to interpretation, but the basic premise is this. You, again, it's, it's, it's making the conceit that there are documents and you make REST calls to those. And on top of that architecture, which a lot of applications are already built on, you have a stream paradigm where you're subscribing to changes for that particular resource. So you get resources, but you also get resources, but request a text event stream. And in that event stream, uh, whenever a resource is created or updated or deleted, uh, what you can receive in, you know, in your connection back through service and events uh, is another great standard that's, that just came out a couple months ago uh, from one of our Salesforce colleagues. Uh, it's called JSON patch which is finally an RFC specification for how to model changes in a data set. Huh. So it's JSON encoded. Um, you know, the text event stream is, is text, but the data aspects could be interpreted as JSON very easily. Uh, and it gives you a very direct way to send changes, even complex changes. Uh, JSON patch supports add, remove, move, copy, uh, delete, and test for existence. So it's actually quite... Uh, versatile and, and can support, I think, a lot of different paradigms. And just using this persistent connection uh, kind of in parallel with a document request response model, I think is a great way uh, forward for existing applications to incorporate real-time functionality pretty easily. This is fascinating. I had never seen anyone use server-sent events uh, outside of the browser before. 
Yeah, it was actually pretty easy to implement, but uh, yeah, it, I don't think anybody else has really applied those directly. Service and events sort of gets overshadowed by WebSockets. Yeah. Uh, but the thing about WebSockets is we don't need to buy deck directionality. So instead, what we have is a unified HTTP-based uh, solution that allows you to build applications uh, right on top of how you're already building them. I think it's a pretty compelling offering, and I'd love to hear some more ideas on this. This is how I'm going to build things from now on. You're putting this directly into NF- AF networking? Yes. The, uh, so it's the event source and the JSON patch. are. That's going to be a kind of first-class extension on top of things, hmm. and I will continue to maybe incorporate that into AF incremental store. And actually, the service and events solve one of the... Uh, existential problems of, of AF incremental store, which is the unknown unknown, in that if, an, if something gets deleted on the server side, there's no great way to know about that on the client, unless you ask for that resource directly and get a 404 or a 410. If you want to be responded to that, if you want tweets to be deleted off of their feed right. in real time, you got to do that. So you said that it's, it's like a first-class extension, and I wanted to kind of to hit on this would you say so? You have your official and your third-party extensions. Um, so you support OAuth, you know, one and two, S three, JSON RPC, and then you have your AF incremental store. And now, what you're talking about are, is that going to change it all with 2.0, or how, how much work has to go into the extensions with the changes, if any? Sure. Well, I, I do intend to upgrade all of the extensions to AF networking 2.0. It shouldn't be that much work though, because the API is relatively compatible. Uh, fortunately, it's, it was actually a really easy way to. Sp- uh, pretty easy to swap out uh, one backend to another. So uh, you, most people won't notice a change. Gotcha. Yeah, so 2.0 coming out Thursday. Very, very exciting. Very cool project. I, uh, I, am, I am very interested and excited to actually spend some time digging into this and uh, learning from it. Well, thank you. Again, I have to give a lot of credit to the community for you know, their amazing support of the project. Uh, again, two years in, over 100 contributors, uh, maybe something like 2,000 forks, uh, you know, over 1,000 closed issues. Yeah. It, it, it's really the project that got me to where I am in the community. Uh, it, it, you learn so much from being part of a large project, and, you know, I'm extremely fortunate that I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, learn so much, and hopefully people, you know, find it to be useful. Awesome. So to you do have a hard out, so we don't want to hold you uh, too long. So to the listeners that kind of know about the changelog, um, and to those that don't, we kind of have a few questions that we like to ask at the end of every episode. Um, so go ahead right. and ask them. The, the first question is for a call to arms. And for any of your products um, that you are kind of have out there, what would you like to see the, the community to kind of rally around and work on? Sure. I mean, as much as you can, if you're doing a new mobile project, I would encourage you to try out Helios, try out AF Networking, uh, the new version 2.0. I know a lot of people are going to be making either updates or new projects with iOS 7. Try it out. Let me know what you think. Uh, But in general, I think a greater call to action is to, you know, release stuff as much as you can in open source. If you have a a piece of code in your project that uh, you find to be useful and think you can abstract out to general usage, I'd love to see, you know, a new CocoaPod out of that. I'd like to see a new gem out of that. you know, the, the community grows, again, as a gift economy, that we give each other gifts and, you know, everybody succeeds together. That's It sounds uh, sort of granola, maybe even communist-y, but really it's ideal because there's no materiality to it. We can just share information freely. It's a, a kind of a great way uh, to benefit from everybody's expertise and their passion. 
and uh, it really makes the open source community really special. Cool. If you weren't doing iOS development, uh, what would you be doing instead? You know what? I found my, I think I found my passion. Uh, just the other day, I, I tried <laughs> hang gliding for the first time. Oh. Now, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a quarter-life crisis, but I've started doing a lot of air sports. I'm working on my pilot's license. I went skydiving uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, probably be going again soon. But hang gliding, oh my goodness, that is uh, a rush and thrill beyond belief. And, and it's just something that clicked instantly. Uh, I would encourage you, don't tell your parents about it, but uh, that you're going. <laughs> tell, tell them afterwards, yeah. but man, or your, your wife or uh, husband, don't, don't tell them until afterwards. Or take them with you, I guess. Uh, just really cool. When you get your fun. pilot's license, uh, feel free to swing by Nashville and take me on out to the Heroku headquarters to uh, hang out. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> and lastly, for your programming hero, someone you want to give a shout out to? Uh, shout out to Why the Lucky Stiff, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a hero to a lot of us in the Ruby community. But uh, also to Sean Inman, who uh, is, is somebody that I look up to immensely. Uh, kind of a triple threat that he's a designer, you know, a brilliant pixel artist, a great programmer. Uh, and and does his own music composition, writes thoughtful uh, you know pieces on his process, and just an amazing guy. So definitely look up to him, and has been an inspiration my whole career. Yeah, his eight bit or pixel stuff is some of my favorite for sure. It's it's amazing. What did you think about uh, Wise somewhat return recently? You know what? I, I almost didn't want to get burned, or it, it was sort of like there was a closure to it all, and. Uh, you know, when you, you reanimate corpses, uh, you sort of get a zombie effect, potentially. So I, I, I kind of wanted to let sleeping dogs lie until, uh, you know, the jury was still out. But I guess, you know, sending cryptic communications through postscript documents is a pretty <laughs> yeah, cool way to communicate from the grave. And that's pretty much what you would expect. So Absolutely. And I'm not going to try to be controversial here, but uh, I do believe that he was at PyCon last year. There you go. I, I met him in real life. He, he taught a class uh, at Carnegie Mellon. He was playing the auto harp the whole time. He lectured in song and verse. It was a life-changing experience. Yeah, wow. he did a... He, he was uh, 410 gone. He was not gone from the world. I think he's... <laughs> you still... You, there, it's almost like the, uh, the Sasquatch. You, there's there's <laughs> Y-spottings all around the world. <laughs> he's 410 gone. Not real gone. Yeah. yeah. I like that. That's good. Right, it's definitely been fun having you on the show, Matt. Uh, Man, so much, so many, I mean, we could have gone on and on, literally. I mean, I almost wanted to talk about some other things, too, but I know that uh, we got a, a time box here. But definitely cool having you on the show. Thank you so much for everything that you do in open source and the way that you're supporting mobile development. Uh, you know, to lament on what you said earlier in the show, I, I like your, your uh, uh, I guess, your perspective, you know, versus um, what you said your job at Heroku is to help you know, grow mobile development on there instead of trying to like market your growing the user base, I guess, of mobile development. That's a really good perspective. So, oh, thanks a lot. And thanks for, you know, the change log, I think, does a lot to humanize and give a voice to open source. So, thank you guys for uh, really being a guiding voice for all that. Uh, not to suck up too much, but really, you guys, you know, hats off. Well, thank you, man. We, we certainly you. appreciate that. It. It's what makes this worthwhile, that's for sure. Absolutely. But uh, we're live every Tuesday. This is uh, the Changelog Sunny Off. So let's say goodbye, guys. See y'all later. Fare thee well. Au revoir.